green? Okay. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles <clears throat> or your electronic devices, as it were, uh, to the book of Acts, or as it is sometimes entitled, the Acts of the Apostles. And as you're doing so, I want to pass on to you greetings from our mother church, Sovereign Grace Church, Bloomington, Minnesota, where I preached last Sunday morning. It was, um, it was the first time that Laurie and I had, uh, had been back to Sovereign Grace Church on a Sunday since we were commissioned, oh man, coming up now on three years ago to plant Emmaus Road Church. And I, I just want to assure you that the people of Sovereign Grace Church in Bloomington have a, well, they not only have a deep love for the local church in general, but they have a significant and a sacrificial love for Emmaus Road Church in particular. Um, they believe not only in making and multiplying disciples, but also multiplying churches. And they put their money where their convictions are. And this church, Emmaus Road Church, simply would not exist uh, were it not for the Holy Spirit-inspired financial generosity and ongoing personal care that we, and, and I'm talking now about probably particularly Laurie and me, personal care that we have received from them. And I, I just want to encourage you to join me in just giving thanks to God for that church. Thank you, God, for that church. And, um, and thank you to Matt Gruen for serving you in my absence. Thanks, Matt, um, for your investment of time and thought and preparation as an expression of your care for this particular church. Lori and I could not have been recipients of the care we were on the receiving end of last weekend were it not for your sacrifice. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Jamie also because your sacrifice is also obviously her sacrifice. So today, um, we are going to introduce a new sermon series on the book of Acts. <clears throat> and... Um, God willing, my, my aim this morning is to, to accomplish two things. Uh, first of all, I want to take some time uh, to, to answer the question, why? Why acts? Um, what is it that led Ryan and me to believe that God wants to address Emmaus Road Church from this particular New Testament book at this particular time? It feels important to, to us that you would understand that process. The second thing is I, I just want to get the ball rolling. That is, we're going to dip the tips of our toes into the text, give some attention to the first five verses of the first chapter. Before we do that, though, before we hear God's voice to us in Acts 1, 1 to 5, why? Why Acts? And, and there, there are three reasons, I think, that uh, have moved us to, to think this way. The first reason, aim, and is to engender traction for living together on mission. We, 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 just, we, we long for deeper, greater, stronger traction for living together on mission. One, one of the most common and most serious threats to any local church anywhere, but to new churches especially, is the potential of what is known as missional drift. 
That is, it takes almost no time at all, and churches with great vision, great ambition to make and multiply disciples, to make and multiply leaders, to make and multiply other churches, is to drift. You kind of get, just get off course and get off course from that vision and from that ambition. Or, or to put it in another way, the, it's very, very, very common for the needs of church members to begin to carry more weight, more weight in terms of our time and our attention than the needs of the lost. And so, uh, given the cultural air that we breathe, um, cultural air that we breathe of consumerism, it just saturates our our spiritual pulmonary system, if you will. And and with virtually no effort at all, we, we turn inward, we turn self serving. It becomes all about us. And, and, and I tell people all the time that, you know, there's, there's at least three things that just, that kill church plants within the first year and a half to five years. I've, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. One, one is that they run out of money because people don't tithe. They run out of manpower energy because all, that, all the load-bearing weight of carrying on even the most simple and streamlined ministry structures just begin to fall uh, on a smaller and smaller number of people, and they just become crushed under it, and they burn out. And, um, and, and then, because of one or the other of those two things, um, the church plant runs out of momentum, and they're no longer focused on the reason that they started in the first place. And they're just hanging on for dear life, just trying to maintain what they've got going without losing any more ground. And and the book of Acts, I believe, is, is God's preventative medicine for us to, to fend off any potential infection of missional drift. It's all about disciples of Jesus making and multiplying disciples of Jesus who then come together and form churches that make and multiply churches that will make and multiply disciples who form churches that make and multiply churches and so on and so on and so on. The book of Acts is meant by God to help us sustain and gain traction for living together on mission. That's the first thing that has been shaping our thoughts and prayers as we've entered into this. Here's a second reason. The second reason is, is to deepen what I would call gospel-centered confidence, gospel-centered confidence in the face of opposition and affliction. Since last summer, I mean, actually, you just go all the way back to the outset of Maestro Church's existence, it, it, it would seem that our people have been marked by profound and pervasive personal suffering. This is like Job-like suffering, innocent suffering, affliction upon affliction, cancers, closed doors, miscarriages, chronic illness, death of a child, accidents, injuries, surgeries, financial pressures, vocational disorders. Have I missed anything? <laughs> um, and, and, and from what I've seen over the years, that, that's really normal. That's normal. You plant a church and you are putting yourself in harm's way. But nevertheless, it's as though we could, we could take 
We could take William Cooper's old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, and we could just make that our theme song. And for any of you who are familiar with that old hymn, you you recognize verse 4 is kind of the classic verse, which says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. This is the key phrase. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Uh, frowning providence. I mean, you could put that on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker along with Emmaus Road Church where God hides his smiling face. Uh, so, so last fall, um, Ryan, we, we mapped out this plan uh, to preach through Paul's letter to the Philippians. The, the theme of the Philippians is, is joy. Joy while you're in jail. But Paul's stuck in this Roman dungeon and he's preaching joy. And he says quite famously in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, I have learned... That's a, that's a good thing. See, it's something that everybody can learn. Everybody can learn this. I have learned that it... In whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. Of course, we'd all love to test that a little bit. I like to learn how to abound a little bit more. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, you know, there, there is no dour, depressing, head-hanging, hyper-Calvinism there. God's in control. He's killing me. He's kicking my butt. And so I learn how to be happy when things are hard. And, and so, so Paul, Paul owns up to God's frowning providence with joy. Joy. So we thought about that for a while. And then we moved on to the next thought. You know, we thought for a while about walking through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Some of you are familiar with 2 Corinthians. That's where Paul has that very well-known expression of his thorn in the flesh. You know, a messenger of Satan, he says, sent to harass me. And he prays, Paul prays and he prays and he pleads with God to deliver him from this affliction. And he doesn't just pray for deliverance from his affliction, but he prays for the afflictions that are on his whole team. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9 says, We, not just me, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But... Here's the purpose. That it was that to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So, so God was uh, using despair in a way that was increasing their dependence on the power of God. And in the end... Jesus himself says to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 
my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. It's revealed in a greater, deeper, more profound, experiential way in weakness. So, so these afflictions you, go, you got going, they're, they're simply an occasion to experience more of the glory of Jesus' power than you would have experienced without the afflictions. So, be happy Calvinists. And we prayed about that for a while and we kind of moved on from that idea. And um, I think it was about January, I, I had... I had taken this class from D.A. Carson on Revelation in December, and um, it, it, it was kind of, yeah, it was sticking with me. And, and, and so, so I mapped out the book of Revelation. And, and you know, it, it's very plain to see, I think you look around uh, these days, that any semblance of a Judeo-Christian influence or values or morality in our culture is being, it, it's being driven out, driven out violently. Um, it's no longer of any social advantage to be known as a Christian. And, and, and loved ones, uh, some of us have been enduring personal afflictions, but we have not even begun to bear the full force of the tsunami of violence and suffering the beast referred to in the book of Revelation is preparing to unleash against anybody professing loyalty to Jesus. The, he has been doing this for centuries everywhere else on the planet. And we're coming into a time when we will get to share that. Um, and so um, the days are coming. The days are coming when our confidence in the prevailing power of the gospel is going to come under assault. And the message of Revelation is, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. But in the end, we win. Revelation 21, 4-6. God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I'm making all things new it's done we prayed about that for a while but in the end we came to the book of Acts and it's because the author who wrote the gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, was also addressing suffering and afflicted disciples of Jesus. Weary warriors who wondered whether the Word of God lived out and proclaimed by simple, ordinary folks was actually sufficient. Was it enough to win souls from every nation? They were opposed and they were afflicted from within and from without. And still, the message of the book of Acts is, in spite of all that, in spite of all your afflictions, the word of God spread. In spite of all the opposition, hard things, the word of God increased and multiplied. In spite of all the trouble, a great many people were added to the Lord. And so, Ryan and I, we, we just didn't feel like the... Um, 
the t-shirt and mug with woe is us, we're the suffering church. That idea, that just wasn't the way to go. Our mission is to make and multiply disciples who will impact this city and the nations for the glory of Jesus. Our vision, our vision is to start one missional community for every thousand people in Sioux Falls. One missional community of disciples of Jesus living together on mission to bless every nook and cranny and people group in this city for every thousand people. We have three missional communities. And there are over 165,000 people in Sioux Falls with another 400 people adding to that every month. So our city is growing faster than our making and multiplying missional communities, but our confidence is in the power of this book, power of the Word of God, the voice of the Lord to generate and sustain and multiply the life of God in the people of God. That's the second reason. There's a third reason for the book of Acts, and that is to fan into flame what we call, you've heard us to use this terminology before, our continuationist pneumatology. <laughs> Emmaus Road Church is part of a denomination known as Sovereign Grace Churches. And the churches in our denominations share seven distinctives. And one of those distinctives is a theological and practical conviction that there is a continuity There's a continuity between the activity of the Holy Spirit as described in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, and the activity of the Holy Spirit today. We we believe that what sets the, the people of God apart from all the other people in the world is the very manifest, active presence and power of God. Revealed in us, revealed among us, revealed through us by the work of the Spirit of God. Or, to say it another way, Sovereign Grace churches are characterized by a, um, let's use a a term that might register with some of you, a, a significant charismatic dimension. Something in which a few of us have had profound experience and others, maybe most, have had none. Uh, In in fact, just hearing me say that little phrase could be unsettling. (laughs) Um, At this point in time, our, our, our continuationist, that continuationist pneumatology um, is... um, minimally discernible. And, and, and so, as we have said explicitly from the start of this church, this is who we are. This is, uh, this is one of the seven things that makes us a sovereign grace church. This is who we aim to be. And the book of Acts, beginning with our text this morning, immerses us. It baptizes us into a practical theology of the ongoing and essential work of the Holy Spirit. So, missional traction, gospel stability and joyful faith in the face of affliction, 
and a functional theology and practice of the continuing ministry of Jesus. That's why the book of Acts. Let's get started. So, follow along. Two for the price of one today. Follow along, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. It's our hope, Lord God. It's our desire. It's our request of you, if it would please you, God, if it would please you to give us more traction for fruitful, fruitful life together on mission. I, I think it's, it's so apparent that many among us feel like they're kind of, they're, they're standing on the head of a pin. And how do you, how do you get traction when you hardly have a place to stand. We're asking you for more traction. And, Father, we're we're asking you for a deeper, stronger confidence and hope in you in the midst of hard stuff. More joy. More joy. And we're asking you for more of you. More of your power. More Christ-like character. More evidence of your activity. You doing what only you can do. And fragile human beings like us cannot do. That's what we're asking for. Take us into a broad place. Lord Jesus, you are the broad place. You're the broad place. Let us stand in you. Fill us. Encourage us. Edify us. Build us. Protect us. And magnify the power of the gospel, the word of the gospel to run 
and honor you and magnify your glory and your kingship in this city and to the nations. We pray this for Jesus' sake, in his name, amen. All right, like I said, two for the price of one. I'll make this quick. The text breaks down into three sections. Verses 1 and 2 highlight the the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 3 summarizes the heart of Jesus' ministry. And verses 4 and 5 point forward to the continuation of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at these one at a time. And um, here we go. Beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 1 refers to a first book. And we understand that that first book is the gospel according to Luke. And the reason that we understand it's the uh, gospel of Luke is because in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, It seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that cool name that is also referred to in Acts 1, that you may have certainty, the purpose is is certainty, faith, confidence, assurance concerning the things you have been taught. And and then the book of Acts is is understood to be volume 2. It's volume 2 of Luke's orderly account addressed to the same Greek gentleman, Theophilus. Here's Acts 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry was recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And, and really that, that ministry starts, the record of it starts specifically in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus had, had uh, been led into the, the wilderness, been experienced this profound experience of temptation, and, uh, and then he comes out of the wilderness and the ministry starts. And here's what it says. Jesus returned, key phrase, in the power of the Spirit. That's really an important phrase to take note of. In the power of the Spirit. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Luke chapter 4, verses 40 to 41. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And a great multitude came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Luke 9, verse 11, they followed him and he welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. These are just summary statements of of what Jesus did and taught. Um, His ministry included announcing and explaining the presence and the nature of the kingdom of God and his ministry including, included doing things that demonstrated the presence and the nature of the kingdom of God. And further, Jesus' ministry included 
making and multiplying disciples who did what he did and taught what he taught. We see that in Luke chapter 9, for instance, verses 1 and 6. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Unless we think that this ministry was, uh, you know, kind of deputized 12 and that was, that was it, uh, that, that's not where the limitations were defined. In Luke chapter 10 verses 1 and 9, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two. No lone ranger mission, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And and, and essentially, really, that, that summarizes Jesus' earthly ministry As a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, healing the sick, opposing demonic darkness, preaching and teaching and announcing the inbreaking of the rule and reign and dominion of God's kingdom. And then equipping and deploying others to go out and do the same thing. And he did it over and over and over, right up until the time when, according to Luke chapter 24, verse 51... He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So that's what Jesus began to do and to teach. That's the beginning. But it it wasn't random. He did and taught with a particular aim. So we come to the heart of Jesus' ministry, the focal point of Jesus' ministry. His words and his deeds had a, had a particular theme, focal point, that is, is essentially summarized in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So in the person and in the ministry of Jesus, God has invaded the kingdom of Satan and Satan's reign of sin and sickness and brokenness and death. Jesus announced the presence and the inbreaking of God's sovereign rule and dominion with his words. And he demonstrated God's sovereign rule and dominion with his deeds. God's reign is here. God's rule is here. Now it's time to leave Satan's kingdom and enter God's kingdom. But you see, in order for a person to enter into the joy of God's kingdom is really important. They needed to be set free from Satan's kingdom. And not just free, they needed to be, before you can enter the infinite, the the 
presence and the kingship of an infinitely holy God, you need to be made holy. You need to be made perfect. And so it was necessary that Jesus died. He suffered and died to pay the price for our redemption. You know, this is the ransom that gets paid to get you out of this prison camp. And he paid the price to atone for the debt of our sin against an infinitely holy God. Somebody had to do that. Somebody had to do that. You don't just walk out of the prison camp of a supernatural, spiritual being. It's impossible to do. You need a stronger supernatural, spiritual being to get you out. You need a divine seal team to get you out for this extraction. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you don't just say... I'm sorry, sorry for offending your infinite holiness. Forgive me, please. And have this infinite debt go away. God could say, I forgive you, but there's still the debt. And only an infinite man, a spotless, sinless infinite man, a God-man could pay such an infinite debt. And the bill doesn't just go away. Jesus paid that debt. Jesus was the only man whose death was sufficient to break the power of sin and to pay the bill for the atonement of our sin. And his resurrection from the dead, verified by many proofs and appearances, was, it, it, it verified, it, it, it was the certification that his sacrificial death was in fact sufficient and was in fact accepted. An infinitely holy God. He, he, the bill was paid. It was paid. The ransom was paid in Jesus' suffering and death. And we know it was paid because God, God accepted the payment and it was verified through Jesus' resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection. So, the reason that Jesus' suffering and death is adequate payment um, to set us free and to pay the debt, the reason that we know it's adequate is because He rose from the dead. His resurrection is the certification. And now, anyone who will repent of their self-reliance Anyone who will repent of their self-atoning attempts of religion. Anyone who will repent of their self-centered ways and turn and, and just 
rely, put their dependence on Jesus' death to atone for their sin. To rely on Jesus for deliverance from the power of sin. Rely on Jesus alone as the way into the very presence and the fullness and the brightness and the sweetness, eternal sweetness of God's rule and reign can and will enter the kingdom of God. The prison doors are open. The debt's been paid. The check's been cashed. The chains are gone. All you got to do is come in. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That is the heart and the soul of Jesus' ministry. Thirdly, the continuation of Jesus' ministry. So, Luke begins Acts 1-1 saying, in the first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Implying that now in the second book, he will deal with all that Jesus continues to do and teach. But, but see, how, how is it that Jesus continues to do stuff and teach stuff when he's no longer around? J- Jesus has departed, right? He left the building. You see it in Acts 1.9. As they were looking on, he was lifted up. Cloud took him out of their sight. So, so Jesus is gone. But God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had a plan to continue the ministry that Jesus began. And it's described in verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And any follower of Jesus with their Jewish background would have immediately made a connection between the implications of that statement. They would have known from their Bibles the stories of Israel's heroes whose lives were dramatically transformed when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They would have remembered how the 70 received some of the Spirit that had rested on Moses. They would have remembered how Joshua was empowered by the Spirit when Moses laid his hands on him. They would have remembered wimpy, fearful Gideon called by God to this... This this mammoth, daunting task of engaging the the Midianite war machine with just 300 dudes and their little jugs of water. And and, and Gideon, you know, he he sees himself as being this rather irrelevant son, you know, to an irrelevant father, far from any kind of an inspiring leader of fighting men. And while he's hiding out, he's hiding out, secreted away, feeling real safe, from these marauding hordes, God calls him and God commissions him and God clothes Gideon with the Holy Spirit's power and he was a changed man. (laughs) They would have remembered that and they would have thought about David. David and how his phenomenal 
impact as a warrior king was directly attributed to a, a secret, uh, kind of a private encounter between him and the prophet Samuel who anointed him with oil. And according to 1 Samuel 16, 13, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And that's just a, a sample you know, it's, it's all it is is background in their minds when in Luke chapter 24, verses 47 and 48, Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You're the plan. You're the means to continue the ministry I got going. It is clear that Jesus intended for profoundly flawed and profoundly fragile and profoundly fearful disciples to continue his ministry of announcing the kingdom with their words and demonstrating the power and presence of the kingdom with their deeds and accomplishing it all with the very same empowering the God-man accomplished it when he had done it, according to Acts 1 verse 2, through the Holy Spirit. One commentator says, Acts 1-1 indicates that the book of Acts is going to be about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Therefore, the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus would be a better title. It must be said, though, that this could be also understood as shorthand, a shorthand expression for something like, here's this would be a better title, the Acts of the Lord Jesus through his people, by the Holy Spirit, for the accomplishment of God's purposes. There's your title for the book of Acts. The Acts of the risen Lord Jesus, through his people, by the Holy Spirit, for the accomplishment of God's purposes. So, I was raised um, in a church background that, that, that did not recognize or understand any continuity between all that Jesus began to do and to teach and the ongoing acts of the risen Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. We, we were discouraged from thinking that way. <laughs> then about 35 years ago, um, my perspective changed. And I became what we would describe as a, a continuationist, uh, in, really in terms of my theological understanding. Yeah, there's a connection. Boom, boom. Should be, that's continuity. It took another five years, because this really kind of rocked my world, uh, it took another five years after that before I became a continuationist in terms of practical ministry. 
um, I was at that time serving our first church in Hawaii, and um, I was, you know, praying and pondering these things all the time, but I was, I was out one day with my friends, Al and Steve. Al had us uh, stop, stop in to see a friend of his who worked at a local furniture store, so we all go in, and uh, while we're there, uh, two women and three small children came in. At, at the time, I, I didn't even barely notice. As I think back on it, I remember two gals, a stroller, two other children. And uh, one of the women that came in was on crutches and had her foot and her lower leg in a cast. And, <clears throat> and Al says to her, uh, what happened to your leg? And um, Mr. Introvert is thinking, that's pretty forward. Um, and uh, she responds, well, I recently broke my ankle. And Al says, has anybody ever prayed for you? <laughs> and she looks at him with this kind of a, you know, you must be from Mars uh, look, and she, she goes, yeah, for my head once. He was real sarcastic. And uh, Al says, no, 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 I mean, for, I mean for your ankle. And she says, no. And then Al says, we, my friends and I, we believe that God is sovereign and that he rules and he reigns and has dominion over everything, even injuries and sickness and sin. W would you be offended very much if we were to pray and ask God uh, to heal your ankle? We'll just see what he does. And she exchanges another look with kind of a, are you kidding me, with her friend. Uh, but she says, Sure, fine, whatever. And uh, so, Al and Steve and totally out of his comfort zone, me, in this public place, uh, get around her and ask God to heal her ankle. And after we prayed, she, you know, hobbles out of the store on her crutches and figured that was the last we were going to see of her. Uh, Steve called me just a few days later and he says, um, you know, Al's friend over at the store had called Al to say that the woman that we had prayed for had been back in the store. And uh, this time, no crutches, no cast, uh, and rather, instead, she's walking on high heel pumps. This is a few days later. And, in fact, Al had already met with her to answer all the questions that she had about Jesus. Um, now... You know, it, it's the healing of a broken ankle that gets our attention, right? Um, but the healing um, it's only the practical uh, physical indicator of the truth that God's sovereign rule and reign have in fact broken into this world. It's only a physical confirmation of the announcement that God is sovereign and Jesus is king. It's only a, a token. It's just a token of, of, of a hope that there actually really is a better realm and a better king. And if we will turn 
and trust King Jesus for freedom from Satan's prison camp and trust King Jesus for forgiveness of all our sins, past, present, and future, and trust King Jesus for the propitiation of God's wrath, that is, by Jesus' death on the cross, this debt that caused, that, that with God caused by our rebellious disobedience toward God has actually been paid in full, then we may enjoy the fullness of the pleasure of acceptance with God, acceptance by God, sweet communion with God, and a certain hope of an eternal future inheritance in God. This is what Jesus began to do and to teach. And this is the heart of what he did and taught. And these are the acts of the risen Jesus today through his people by the Spirit for the fulfillment of God's and accomplishment of God's eternal purpose. It's just the beginning. And so I want to invite you to join me in intentionally pursuing his sovereign activity among us, doing what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, among us, through us, for the spread of his dominion, rule, and reign in our city and to the nations. Let's pray. Father, it, it's um, just obviously just need to register that um, solid, stable, persevering joy in you in the midst of affliction. That's, that is as much a miracle as the healing of a broken ankle. Grieving losses with hope, not like the way the world grieves, but grieving with hope, that is a miracle on par or above the healing of an ankle. Steadfast perseverance for the sake of the gospel. That is a miracle. And Lord, you are sovereign and, and, and you reveal your rule and reign and dominion however you see fit and whenever you see fit to do it. But the truth is, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you've come. You've come into this world. You've invaded the kingdom of darkness and sin. You broke its back. You've bound the strong man. And you are rescuing captives and drawing them to yourself. And we want to be part of this continuing ministry of Jesus. Not people sidelined by discouragement and dour dullness and deception and whatever else. 
We ask for you to come. We ask for you to reveal your glory to your people through this present and active ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Set us apart, O Lord. Set us apart. Not just a bunch of religious folk that get together every now and then and but people who are marked by you and your present activity among us. That's what we long for. Jesus, you're our broad place to stand. As I prayed for you this morning, I, I, uh, what came to my mind, maybe not everybody's familiar with this story or this book, but in John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, there is a, there's a portion of the story where Christian, the main character who's kind of battling his way to the celestial city um, through every obstacle and opposition, difficulty, um, he gets trapped by this giant named Despair. And uh, this giant despair throws Christian into the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And about once a day, giant despair brings Christian out and just beats the living daylights out of him. And uh, it's a depressing situation. And then one day, Christian's about ready to just give up completely and he's filling around and his hand drops into his pocket and he happens to find this key this key which is called the promise of God it's the promises that God has made and he looks at that key and he takes it and he puts it in the door and it opens the prison cell and he walks out And, and Lord, I want to pray for those today here in this place who, who are in that cell of despair, taking a, a, a whooping every day from the giant despair. And I pray that you just turn the light on, bring it to mind. That the prison cell is open because of Jesus. Jesus' death binds the strong man. Jesus' death breaks the power of sin. The door is open. Jesus' death pays the ransom. Jesus' death satisfies, clears the debt that we could have never paid. We have freedom and access to walk out and walk forward in you. Would you lift that darkness? Would you lift that despair? Would you lift that discouragement? Would you lift that, just that, that dullness and uh, confusion and tangled up thinking with the power and the presence, and the manifest dominion of your rule and reign. 
Do this for your glory. Do it for the freedom of your people. Do it for the salvation of of many souls in this city. Do it for the name of Jesus. In his name, amen.